hello there and welcome back to Please Watch My Film. We are an, um, why hello there and welcome back to Please Watch My Film. We are on episode four this week and we are going to talk in detail about your film's target audience and these fancy little things that us marketers like to refer to as client, customer, or in the case of a film, audience avatars. We are going to dig into why it's important to define who your film is being made for and how knowing that person or that individual can make your marketing that much better. But before we get too far into it, my name is Tay and I run a communication and strategy firm that I've taken to calling TSH uh, comms or communication. If you head to our website, you can find it at www.tayhar.com. You can see all of our film marketing stuff. It's great. It's one of our favorite things to do. Uh, you can also hang these with me on Twitter at Tayhar or Tayharcoms. Um, or both of those channels. Obviously, one is mine and one is small work channel. And then I have, um, we've got Instagram, which is also at Tayharcoms. All of that stuff is linked in the show notes, guys. You don't have to go search it. You can just click through. It's a fun little fact. And yeah, so let's just get started. Um, my mantra when it comes to determining who your film is for is a film created for everyone will be seen by no one. This is actually my favorite marketing sentiment overall. I love it because it's so simple. The idea behind it being you cannot please everyone. And if you try to do that, you're going to lose everyone. If you try to make a marketing campaign for your new indie rom-com and say it's for women between the ages of 20 and 65, you are going to miss the target. I hope that this is not news to you, but the preferences of a 25 and 65 year old woman are very, very different. Then when you mix in things like culture, life experience, location, you're looking at a whole other ball game. In fact, you're probably not even playing the same sport. The more specific that you get the better your marketing is. This is true in film as it is in any other form of marketing. If you are running a business and if you are a filmmaker, I kind of assume that in some capacity you are running a business, um, how you attract new clients, talent, or anything else like that will be affected by the same thing. The more specific you are, the better the results that you're gonna get. And the better the results, the more success you're gonna see overall. Yay, everyone wants that, right? Now, you might be worried that if we get too specific, you'll be ruling out way too many potential audience members, and I totally get that concern, but you won't be. A really tailored marketing campaign can speak to so many different kinds of people, but a really generic message is going to speak to basically no one. The other thing that's important to know is that you can build more than one audience avatar. We are building a really specific avatar, but that doesn't mean that we're restricted just to that avatar. Essentially, each avatar um, that you have there or that you build it represents an entire audience group. We just build it as a person because it can make an uh, can make making a marketing message more impactful if it's aimed directly just at an individual. But before we get too far into this, um, I have created an audience avatar workbook that has all of the elements we're going to be talking about in this episode. I'm going to walk you through how to build an avatar. If you want to do it alongside me, you can download the free workbook for some assistance. The entire outline of this episode is actually based on an article I wrote a while back. It's called, Can We Find Your Target Audience? And I've thrown a link to it in the show notes. Um, but honestly, this episode is going to be a really film specific version of that article. So you probably don't have to read it. But if you're interested, you can go check it out. We're covering this topic so early in the podcast, because I realized that as I was doing future 
episode outlines, I was referencing target audiences and um, these audience avatars, but I realized that many people don't know what I'm talking about or they don't know how to build one or they are building something, but it's just not specific to what I am talking about. So I figure if we get this out of the way at the top, everyone can just refer back to episode four if they need a refresher on anything. So go to the show notes, grab the workbook, and yes, you do have to put your email in. Um, if you've already given me your email, just let me assure you that you're not going to receive double emails or anything like that. So long as you're using the same email, like you're just, you're not inputting all your different emails. Don't do that. Please don't. Uh, throws off our stats too. Um, the reason why we ask you to do this is because it tags you when the system is downloading this specific content. And while that might seem like a creepy thing to do from a marketing and a content creation standpoint, it helps us see which of our materials are actually being used and who's using them. This is a really important part of email marketing that you can definitely apply to your film company or even your brand. Just if you're, you know, an actor or director or whatever, and we will go over email marketing and some tactics that you can use in a future episode. But for now, just pause that episode, head over there, grab the workbook, throw your email into the lovely little email machine, and then we will know that you have it in a non-creepy way, I swear. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to assume that you have this now, the workbook, and we're going to get started. Why not? So consider building an audience avatar, like filling out a questionnaire for the latest and greatest dating site, not to be confused with the dating app where you just upload your photo and call it a day. Our overall goal here is to create a detailed sketch of one specific audience member as a representation of a whole group. Now, most amateur marketers get the group thing right. They pick a general audience that they want to attract, say millennial women from Canada with a bachelor's degree that make between 50 and $70,000 but they don't dig any further than that. A generalized audience profile like this is okay for something like a two page marketing plan that you're submitting for a grant. And honestly, investors and other people will be satisfied with this as well. But when it comes to marketing and actually making those marketing materials, it just won't do. You can make collateral for this group as a whole, but that's a really big group of people. And it's still likely to be too generalized to really connect with anyone. And that's where an audience avatar comes in. An audience avatar is an actual stand-in for a human being. In fact, you can actually use a real person to design this if you want to. And yes, that real person could be you or someone like you, your sister, your brother, your mother, whatever. Because um, chances are you probably want to see your own film or they want to see your film. And even if they're like in one of the smaller groups, that's totally fine. Um, so building one of these avatars means that we can tailor our general over overview of a marketing campaign to speak to a specific individual, which will make it so much more personal and so much more effective. But before we can start building those like tiny, small, intricate audience profiles, we do need to start with general audience groups. So I'm kind of going into this thinking that you at least have some knowledge of, of an audience profile. You've probably filled out some sort of application or you're aware of how some sort of marketing works. But that said, I tried to make this as like generic as possible in case you don't know what we're talking about. And so the, the workbook that I've created does have a section for audience groups. And you're going to find this, I believe it's on page two of the workbook, as long as I don't change anything. Uh, so on page two of the workbook, you'll see, and it's basically three blank um, fill-in things. You can type, it's a fillable form, so you can type into it or you can print it out and, and write on it or whatever. Um, 
And so it's got spaces for three different types of audience. This is your primary audience, your secondary audience, and your tertiary audience. That, for the record, word is pronounced tertiary. I did hear someone the other day call it the territory audience. I'm not sure why. That's not what it is. Um, in case anyone wants to know how to pronounce that word. I've actually heard a lot of people struggle with it. That's why I'm... <laughs> That's why I bring it up. So your primary audience is going to be the main audience for your film. These are the specific people that the film was created for. If it's your traditional like boy meets girl rom-com, your primary audience might be the audience that I listed earlier. Millennial woman from Canada with a bachelor's degree that makes uh, fifty to $75,000. And for a rom-com, that's a great generalized audience. Um, Right now, I'm super into Knives Out. <laughs> I think Ryan Johnson is a bloody genius. And he actually bought a copy of the movie, which is rare for me. Um, and I've put it on more than once since I bought it. So for the purposes of this episode, let's pretend that we're going to be the marketers for Knives Out. Um, this, And if, you, if you've never seen this film, honestly, you could probably go watch the trailer and still understand what I'm going to say. Because none of this is going to be too specific. I'm not going to talk about the film details at all. There's not going to be any spoilers in here. Um, it is a, for the purposes of this, it's going to be a general like murder mystery, Agatha style Christie mystery where you don't know who the killer is. That's just, that's what the, if you've never seen it, that's what it is. So, um, there could be so many different primary audiences for this film. Uh, it's just got so many facets, but without doing any research on my part right now, the biggest buying power that I can see that will probably give us the best ROI on this particular film. ROI, by the way, is return on investment. In case you are not familiar with that, I should stop using terms like that. <laughs> um, I assume that you all are, but I don't want to make you feel bad if you aren't. So ROI is return on investment. Um, that means that you are getting more than you put into it, whether that be money. In most contexts, it's money. But in some contexts, like especially in marketing, effort is a big ROI too. So um, so the best ROI for this film and probably the easiest to connect with is going to be somewhere in the millennial age group. We need people who are interested in mystery, like to combine the mystery with a little bit of intellect and comedy, and we want people with an average or slightly higher than average IQ, so we're going to assume that for the purposes of this, um, those millennials that we're going to target have attended some sort of post-secondary education. We need those people to have money because we're selling them something we want them to buy, so they've got to have a job. Or I guess they could be independently wealthy, but that would be a very different audience. Um, and as a general marketing rule, and not to be sexist, <laughs> males and females respond differently to different messaging. This is not to say that every single person, male or female, is going to respond differently. But generally speaking, in a marketing uh, context, males and females will respond differently to different messaging. So we're going to use millennial females because I happen to know that true crime, uh, that the true crime genre trend that's currently going on is more popular with females than it is with males. Not to say that males don't like it, but uh, us, us ladies like crime. Um, and we have, um, and it just kind of add to that, we have a number of attractive males and females that we can use in our advertising that can target women. So based on this, based on my general description, our audience is going to be millennial women born between the uh, years of 1980 and 1996. This is roughly the official, I put quotations around that, age group for millennials, in case you're curious, who have bachelor's degree, make between 50 and 100k and enjoy murder mysteries and comedies. Uh, 
or just mysteries in general, I guess. Now I can automatically segment this group into smaller groups by adding a location like Canada, the US or the UK to this primary audience. Um, those location distinctions will automatically change some of your audience's profile, but for the purposes of this exercise, we're not going to do that. That's because there's another way you can do this in marketing and that's by geo marketing campaigns. So that's geo being geographical marketing campaign. So uh, a marketing campaign that is specifically targeted to, a, uh, to an area. So let's say you're doing a premiere. I'm based in beautiful Calgary, Canada. So we're going to do a movie premiere in Calgary, Canada. We're going to do a very specific geo marketing campaign for that area. And that campaign is going to look different than if, um, if you're holding a premiere in Los Angeles. You know, people are different. Um, cultures are different. Even small, tiny cultures, um, like cities. And I don't mean, <laughs> I mean tiny in number. I mean tiny in differences. There's still some very sm slight differences between cultures um, via geolocation. So we actually see this a lot in film marketing. And it is a super important thing to get to know. Um, and we are going to cover it in detail later. <laughs> But I will kind of give you an example of it in case you're curious. I don't know if you recall the last Grinch movie. I, I really want to say it came out in 2018. It really could have been 2017. I don't really recall. It was the one with Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, they went around and they used geo-targeted billboards and other types of mass poster, mass media posters with local references. Um, so we saw billboards and signs like real loud and angry New Yorkers are my kind of people. So that one was obviously in New York. Uh, another one that had the Grinch on it that said, of course you can make it as an actor. That was obviously in LA and a subway sign that said, I'm sure you'll catch the next one with the Grinch's face on it. These geo-targeting campaigns are or can be I'll say can be very effective we won't give any definites here um, but can be very effective but they're a very different campaign than an audience um, avatar or than than we would use an audience avatar for or we would more specifically we would use a geo audience avatar so we're not going to do that today so it's a lot easier to do that geo marketing in its own campaign so we will talk about geo marketing in a different episode so today we're just going to leave it on the table However, you can, and you'll see in my um, example that I use for everything, my example avatar, she does have a location and that is okay. You can use a location in an avatar. I'm not sure that I would assign a, a location to your primary audience unless you know your film is really only going to be shown in Canada or, you know, the States or whatever. That's okay. After that, we have our secondary and tertiary audiences. Now, I tend to go with a secondary audience as being equally as big or slightly smaller than our primary audience. This can be a group that was left out of the main audience, like millennial males. That's the one I'm going to use. Or it might be a completely different audience, like Gen X females. Um, you can pick whatever you want for your secondary audience. But essentially, you're looking for the second most important audience of your film that you're going to target. So whoever you think you're going to get the most or whoever you think, let's not say get the most out of, let's say whoever you think will appreciate your product, your film at the end of the day, the most, that's what you're going for. Then your tertiary audience is actually more of a niche audience. Say for example, you have a niche group of gamers that would make for a small but steady audience for your film. This is a great niche audience. For Knives Out though, I'm going to make my tertiary audience a niche audience. <laughs> 
Um, and it's going to be Agatha Christie lovers. Agatha Christie is a world-renowned mystery author, or she was a world-renowned mystery author. Her plot lines are somewhat in the style of this film. It is very much, um, I very much, and I'm someone obviously who's read Agatha Christie, and I'm very familiar with her works. And so it's very much the style of this film. And most importantly, I really do think that fans of her work would be fans of the movie. And so we can really do specific marketing for that group of people. So... To recap for all of my group audiences, I have a primary audience that is millennial women. My secondary audience, I'm going to go with those millennial men. And then finally, I have my my niche audience of Agatha-style Christie lovers. Your audiences will look very different than mine, and you even might have more. Um, but I would keep it as small as possible, especially if you're starting out on your first film marketing campaign. Like if, you, if you're just starting out, please don't overwhelm yourself with a bunch of audiences. These audience profiles are just used to create your marketing campaign. And, and, um, they, your marketing will reach more than just this audience. It's just that this more specific, we get the better of the marketing that we do. So, um, three is great for marketing. 10 is not great (laughs) because it's a lot of different marketing campaigns to magic. So please, please don't go all crazy. And also note that you can build more than one audience avatar for a specific audience group. Now that we have our main audience group laid out, we are going to zero in on creating one audience avatar for our primary audience. Each of our audience is going to have at least one avatar associated with them, but you might want two or three depending on what you're working on. But I like to start simple, so let's just build one for our primary audience. On the fourth page of the workbook, you are going to see an audience avatar. Our goal is to fill this in, but to do that, we need to answer the questions on page two. Now, on page three, I've included a blank page that you can type into, or if you print this off, you can just write into it. But alternatively, you can also just jot the answers down on a blank sheet of paper, Google Doc, or, you know, even the notes app in your phone. It really doesn't matter. These answers do not have to be fancy. Um, and you want to answer them like your audience avatar would. In this scenario, you are a scriptwriter and we are creating a character. And once that's done, we are going to market that character. Or market to, sorry, we're going to market to that character. We're not going to market her. Okay, so I have a an example avatar, and I use her almost every time. She's going to be in that article. She is going to be on the blog post on Tehar.com that is associated with this. She is my go-to, um, my glo- go-to client avatar, audience avatar. She is just, she's a person that I made up a long time ago, and I keep using her. Um, And I use her every time I demonstrate building one. So we're going to reverse engineer Tinsley's bio so I can show you how everything works together. Um, Now, I've been working with Tinsley for years. Like I said, she's way more developed than your average avatar since I add her every time I use her, especially because I will use her in different teaching contexts. Like, so today we're going to add a film part to her, which she didn't have a film part before. So she's really, really developed and no one expects you to do (laughs) to do a developed thing like this. In fact, I made the audience avatar page fairly small, so you don't have to go crazy. Um, If you want to do more, like Tinsley has, feel free to do, feel free to add whatever you want. You will also notice that some of the questions that I gave you aren't answered in Tinsley's bio, and that's because they're, the questions are really a starting point. Every time I look at my worksheets, I add to them because I want to be as comprehensive as possible. And so I do encourage you to answer all of the questions that are there and more if you have them. Um, But just know that if you're missing like, you know, this thing or that thing, I think the biggest thing that we're missing is probably like dream vacation spot or whatever. Tinsley doesn't have one of those. 
we're going to say it's Disneyland though, because it's my favorite. Uh, so answer as many as you can, because it will give you a more full picture. So let me read Tinsley's profile to you. Tinsley is a 28-year-old woman from Vancouver, British Columbia. She's an avid podcast fan and spends the afternoons binge listening to her favorites as she taps away at her keyboard. In the evening, she comes home to her small, overly priced Mount Pleasant apartment, which she absolutely loves, and spends the evening while her roommate is working the night shift, catching up on her Netflix My List picks or reading. Occasionally, she goes out with the girls from work to enjoy happy hour and she spends her weekend curled up on the couch with a good book exploring Vancouver's art scene and catching up with her girls. So let's break this profile down a little bit based on the questions that we have. So question number one, what's her name? Her name is Tinsley. Uh, her age and her birthday. I actually didn't put Tinsley's birthday in here, but Tinsley is 28 in this scenario. And honestly, she was 28, like three years old, her three years ago when I made her. So <laughs> she might be 31 now. We're going to say she's just 28. Um, she is a woman. Uh, she loves, we've found out she loves podcasting so far. We know she likes to read. She, we know she likes Netflix. Um, she occasionally likes to go for happy hour drinks. She likes to, she really likes reading. She likes the Vancouver art scene and she likes her friends. All fair game. Um, things that she hates. We actually haven't really learned anything that Tinsley doesn't like, but we're going to, we're going to guess based on her stuff, um, that she doesn't really like, um, I don't know. There's really not. Okay. Well, we haven't learned anything about what she doesn't like. Um, I know we're going to learn stuff about what she doesn't like later on. So we'll leave that one. Uh, her relationship status and details. We usually don't know anything about Tinsley's relationship status. We also don't know anything about her um, sexuality. Um, so that's just something she's a very open person <laughs> In this, in this context, um, she could theoretically be anything. If, it, if that is relevant to your specific marketing campaign, please include it. Um, and if you're doing a rom-com, that might be something relevant that you might want to include. Her dream vacation, um, we don't know what Tinsley's dream vacation is. We, there's, it's not included so far. Um, she hasn't even talked about traveling, so she might be someone who stays at home. I'm not sure yet. Um, her best Friday night. Well, we know that she likes to go out for the occasional drinks with her girlfriend. So maybe that is a good Friday night activity for her and her least and, um, most favorite place. Well, we know that she really likes her apartment. She loves Vancouver in general. Um, so we kind of got like a little bit of a sense of her and you'll notice that I did not answer all of the questions in her personal part of the bio. And so that's okay. Like, I think you still have more than enough information about Tinsley. We could obviously add to her. She is a, she's an evolving character in my, my client avatar work. So, um, yeah, she, we, we could add to her, but you know, she's, um, she is an evolving person. So I, I, but I didn't answer the questions and that was obviously that's so far we're doing pretty good. All right, let's go over Tinsley's work situation. All right, so Tinsley has finished her business degree six years ago where she majored in marketing and she's worked her way into a really great Vancouver-based tech company. She spent the last two years at the company and has seen kind of a revolving door of employees looking for experience and, and a spring step to a higher paid position at another company. 
Tinsley wishes she could be one of those because she gets paid about $60,000 a year, much lower than the majority of people she attended school with, but she works so hard to get to where she is and she's becoming water cooler buddies with the young CEO who keeps talking about promotions sometime in the future. She feels a specific loyalty towards the company. Um, Ultimately, though, she wishes she had more flexibility, a higher paid job, and preferably without a cubicle because, um, but she doesn't want to complain because she knows that she has it relatively good. So, uh, let's break this down. What does Tinsley do for a living? Tinsley is in marketing. Yay, Tinsley. We love her. How much money does she make? She makes $60,000 a year. Her job title, we don't actually know what her job title is, and in this context, it's probably not relevant. Um, If money was no object, what would she do with her life? We don't actually know, but we do know that she would like more money, so she's obviously at least somewhat motivated by money. She would also like more flexibility and she doesn't really want to live the cubicle life. Uh, the favorite and least favorite part of the job, she doesn't really say specifically. However, we can probably infer that she likes her general tasks, but, um, you know, the, the company's a startup. So maybe the pay, obviously the pay is just not there. There's kind of a revolving door. So it might be hard to establish a relationship. So there might be more, um, uh, more of the company context than, um, than anything actually wrong with the job. Why is she there? Um, she enjoys it. It kind of looks like, um, and how did she get there? We don't actually know, but we do know that she graduated, um, six years ago and she spent the last two years in a marketing company. This is obviously four years in between there that she did something else. So, uh, again, I didn't answer all of the questions and we still get a really full picture of what Tinsley's career life looks like. Um, now let's do her future. And in, on the spreadsheet, we have future and film put together. Um, but in this case, we're just going to break down the future. So Tinsley aspires to one day own her own business. She has a ton of ideas of what she wants to do, but the amount and the weight of her idea suppresses her motivation and the activity because she has no idea what to choose or where to begin. Ultimately, she does know that she loves what she does, but she'd rather work for herself than someone else. Besides working for herself, she does long for days where she has the money, time, and flexibility to, say, jet off to New York for a weekend or spend a month in Bali or trek the streets in Berlin and work out of a coffee shop. She wants flexibility, she wants freedom, and she wants the money to make her dream life happen. So, obviously, I also (laughs) use Tinsley for a business, um, for a small business coach type situation. So we have some of that in there. Tinsley is obviously, she, she's obviously has motivation. Um, and she has ambition, I guess is probably more correct. And we know she wants to do something different in her future. The film aspect of Tinsley's profile is not filled out. I just, I haven't had the time to do it. This is a brand new thing for film. Um, And so since she doesn't have her film profile, let's answer the film questions right now. And I've included the perspective questions in the workbook, but you can obviously add to them if you want to, or you can do something else. That's totally fine. So what kind of film does Tinsley love? Tinsley, I have decided, loves rom-coms, thrillers, and anything with a Hollywood Chris in it. She's obsessed with Riverdale, but it's just kind of like closeted obsessed uh, because she kind of thinks she's a little too old to care about it. Um, but she does love that she shot in Vancouver. So that's kind of, that's a plus for her. Um, does Tinsley like to go out into the theater or does she prefer to stay in? Tinsley actually loves to stay in, 
We know she's a little bit of a homebody, um, but she will go up to the theater to catch something really good if it's really interesting to her. Last year, her favorite film uh, and her least favorite film, we're going to say are Aladdin was her favorite and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was her least favorite. And <laughs> yeah, you can come at me, guys. <laughs> I really didn't like that film, so that's why I'm including it. Um, obviously, for this context, we're, we're marketing Knives Out or else Tinsley's favorite film probably would have been Knives Out. We're saying it hasn't happened yet, and so from last year's movies, those are her least and, fa- uh, least and most favorite. Uh, sorry, what does she love to see and why? She loves happy endings, she loves twists and turns, and she loves the hot dad bot. <laughs> Throw that out in there. There's some dads that'll appreciate that. Uh, what makes her laugh, cry, angry, happy? Um, Tinsley, this is, I mean, kind of the same as the last question, but she likes inside jokes. She likes being a part of something and she likes those like warm, fuzzy feelings uh, for crying. Obviously, you know, those really epic scenes where the animal dies. <laughs> those, those get me every time. Uh, angry. Um, I don't know what can make Tinsley angry. Tinsley's angry when... Oh, when that <laughs> she doesn't love horror movies because she doesn't love when the person opens the door when we all know she shouldn't open the door. That makes her angry. Um, happy, well, happy and laugh. Obviously, the inside jokes, being a part of something, all that fancy stuff. Uh, so, what is Tinsley's favorite and least favorite movie of all time? Her favorite movie is called Waiting for Forever. It was a 2010 movie. It was kind of like a creepy movie and definitely a flop, but she found it to be really heartwarming, even though she knows it's like crazy, weird, obsessive. Um, and she also likes the idea of having a favorite film that like no one likes. So that's kind of a big thing for her. Uh, her least favorite film of all time is Secret Obsession. It was just awful. That was a, I think that was a 2019 film. It was not great. Uh, so once we've penned out the answers to these questions, it's time to actually put it together into a profile like Tinsley's. So I'm not going to write it for you. You have Tinsley's example. You can go into the blog post that's associated with this and you can actually look at Tinsley's example. It will all be there um, broken down. It's going to be this podcast in blog form and it's not going to be quite as long. Finally, I've added an actual page to the back of this workbook, which is uh, really new to my method. And that is the connect page, the audience connect page. This is uh, really for you to jot down notes and ideas that will help with future marketing campaigns. It helps evaluate where you're going um, to concentrate your efforts and what kind of efforts they're going to be. It's just really, this is not the marketing plan. It's just thoughts and, and stuff while, while you're creating this. If you come up with these ideas, if you don't fill that out, no one is going to judge you. We're going to be talking about marketing campaigns later and how to actually build those messaging and build those imageries. But when you're making these characters, if you have a character like Tinsley for me, where I know her fairly well, um, I might know where I can connect with her, what things that she's going to like to see and some of the messaging. So let's do some examples here. So for, uh, example in the what and where category, I might say that Tinsley spends her time watching IGTV movies. Um, sorry, videos. So IGTV is Instagram's TV version. It's like in, it's like the YouTube of Instagram. Um, so she likes to spend a lot of time on Instagram and she really likes to watch the IGTV videos. Um, she also posts it on Twitter every, you know, a few times a day, but mostly just to check in on people, you know, famous people that she likes to watch play on Twitter. Yay. Um, so videos and Instagram and even Twitter might be a great way to connect with Tinsley. She also reads a lot of pop sugar online. Pop sugar is a, is an online publication. It's like, I don't know, a digital version of cosmopolitan with less 
substance. And I say that, but I actually love pop sugar. So I'm not actually judging pop sugar. That's just what it is. What it is. Um, and then she heads to the mall once per week. So um, something, you know, advertisements at the mall might work for her or, you know, getting an interview on Pop Sugar with one of the lead actors that might also work or just getting some coverage there. So PR might work for her. In themes of Im or sorry, in themes and imagery, uh, Tinsley likes bold colors and she also really likes um, muted like pastel colors. So those would probably be attractive to her, like a, a lovely like bold purple and maybe like a muted pink. Those would be something that she would find interesting. She loves single imagery. So an image that is carefully placed with the thirds and then kind of has a single focal point as opposed to something that's too busy. That really stands out to her. So that might be something that we think about in the future. Uh, in messaging, Tinsley is very hopeful. She's very positive. We obviously know from her work situation that she's super positive that at some point she's going to get a raise. And so she's sticking around. And so we know that she's really positive. Um, and so positive and hopeful messaging will be uh, particularly helpful for her. Uh, but she is kind of offended if someone criticizes something without really adding to the conversation. So she really doesn't like that negativity. Um, so like I said, this stuff, this last page is not mandatory. You can always add to it later. You can take things off, but it kind of helps with pre-planning some campaigns if you've just jot things down, if you think about them when you're doing them. So that's kind of a little bit of fun. All right. So I think we've had more than enough of this. I will let everyone fill out the audience profile, um, create your own avatar, and uh, we will re we will definitely refer back to these in the future. So you should, I would encourage you, if you're working on a project, to start making these right now. Even regardless of where you are in your project, it's they're just super important. They're going to be so helpful with your marketing. So. Um, but before we go, as always, I have a question that I was asked and the question is a social media question. I actually really like this question and there's also a lot of opinions on it, but I will give you kind of the rundown of what those are. So the question is, how long should you make your movie trailer on social media? That's a legit question, guys. Social media has changed like the, the advertising game, especially for movie trailers, for film trailers, um, or for, you know, even TV show trailers it has really changed how we view that industry. And so um, teaser trailers are usually what is referred to as the social media trailers. Those are usually between, I found some stats to say that they're between 30 and 60 seconds. However, um, I wanted to look into the actual recommendations of all of the different platforms, um, judging by a combination of what they require, um, and all that kind of stuff. So based on, based on their, the actual stats for that platform. So a few interesting things that I will tell you, Instagram will not let you post a video that's longer than 60 seconds on your feed. If you are posting on your stories, I think that's cut down to 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds. So for Instagram, it's kind of recommended that you cut into 15, 20 seconds. That way you can use it on your story and you can also use it on your main profile feed. Facebook. Um, the recommendation that I found most commonly on the internet was 15 to 90 seconds. I would say fairly safely for Facebook, you're probably fine to run a 90 second trailer. Anything longer than that, yeah. then it's actually moving into a, 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 like a video. 
and I think that's that's too much. Uh, for YouTube trailers, thirty seconds to two and a half minutes. A YouTube, honestly, a YouTube trailer. If we're not talking, we're not talking about pre-roll here, guys. We're not talking about an advertisement in YouTube, but just your normal YouTube trailer is ninety seconds to two minutes. That's totally fine. Two and a half minutes, that's fine too. Um, that's a normal, and I should say that actually, that's a normal general run trailer. Uh, sorry, general like Hollywood movie trailer runs for like, you know, 2.30, you know. So, um, they might run a little bit shorter than that. They might run a little bit longer than that. But I think 2.30 is kind of like the average. Um, so for YouTube, I mean, it could just be a full trailer. However, pre-roll trailers should be 20 to 30 seconds. Um, and that's a trailer that plays before something. Um, same thing if you have, if you're doing like mid roll advertising, I would keep it at that 20, 30 second mark too. Note that in advertising, you pay for more time. So if you're going to go over that, you are paying for more time. Just something to keep in mind. And then finally, one trailer that I forgot to include in here, but is actually, uh, really becoming more prominent, especially in the indie film world. Um, and that would be podcast trailers. Um, you can do, you can do so many different podcast trailers. If you are just advertising on a podcast, you can do a feed borrow where you throw something like your own individual clip onto someone's feed. I don't recommend this, um, unless you're a podcast, that's a really great way for a podcast to advertise, but it's not a great way for like a film to advertise, but you can do two different kinds of trailers inside of a podcast. Um, you can have a host read trailer. So that's where the host of your favorite podcast or who your audience member's favorite podcast reads, um, reads out your advertisement, or you can cut an actual specific audio trailer and have them put it into the show. In podcasting, you can do, um, pre-roll, which rolls right before the podcast rolls or mid-roll advertising. I, th I believe mid-roll advertising is more expensive and that is because the people are already into it and listening. And so that's, you know, there's less drop time on that. Uh, pre-roll, you can flip uh, forward through. Um, those advertisements are usually between 15 and 30 seconds. Sometimes you can get up to a minute. Um, it depends on the size of the podcast too. Podcast is, um, is per 100 listens, I think, or, or downloads right now. So it's a CP, I want to call it CPM should probably more accurately be like CPL. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. My point being, um, you can buy placement in podcasts too. And so you're going to want to cut. If that's something you want to do for, if you want to run in podcasts, I would highly, highly, highly recommend doing a podcast specific trailer. And actually that I'm going to write that down. That's going to be an episode we're going to talk about because, um, there is a really good way to advertise on podcasts and there's a really bad way to advertise on podcasts. And I hear mostly the bad ways. Um, mostly what happens is people cut their trailers and then they just take out the audio and throw it into a podcast. That doesn't work. Um, without the visuals, a lot of trailers are not great. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of like a general overview. I will also say the shorter, the better, this should not be news to anyone, but in advertising, I guess it, I guess we say it should be as long. We say it should be as long as possible to tell the story, like as long as it needs to, to tell the story. But also I really want to stress that, um, short and sweet is always better. We have such low attention spans and we've got so many messages coming and flying up at us. So I really want to stress that the shorter, the better, and that would be great. In any case, that is all for today that hopefully that answers that question. Um, 
if you love the podcast, tell one of your film buddies about it. I would super appreciate that. Um, you can find more information about me or, or, uh, the company in general at tehar.com. That's T-A-E-H-A-A-H-R.com. Um, all of that information is the show notes. You can find everything about this in the show notes. There is a website, a blog post on the website that coincides with this specific podcast episode. That's where you're going to find things like Tinsley's bio and all that kind of stuff. So you can take a look at it and copy it within reason. (laughs) Make sure it works for yours though. And, um, yeah, I will see you next week on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope you enjoyed this. I do hope that you got, um, information with this. And if you didn't join us last week, you can feel free to go back. We have some really good episodes so far. I think in my opinion, we've got one talk about the importance of film marketing. We've got one that talks about the Blair Witch Project. Um, and we write down that campaign. And then we finally, uh, the third one that we have is a website episode, why it's so important to do a website for your indie film. So that's all great. Um, hope to see you next week. Bye.